0: Good morning, again. Um, I've got a really tall glass of water this morning, so I'm going to try not to bump anything. Before we get started, uh, just want to ask you to be in your prayers. You know, one thing that we're always so excited about this time of year, all summer long, really, is uh, all the activity happening at our camp just down the street at Rock Lake Christian Assembly. Uh, We're going to have Young Men's Camp coming up this week, and we've got uh, Blake and Colton Essex are both involved with that, so just be uh, in prayer for that camp, for that staff and faculty and uh, those boys, and uh, we just hope everyone has a blessed time. And remember to keep that entire organization in your prayers. They've, They've got a lot going on and so many wonderful things, baptisms, uh, are happening down there, and uh, God is being uh, faithfully served by so many as a part of that wonderful organization, so keep them in your prayers. And this morning, we're looking at week four of Following Heaven's Words in a Hellbound World. It's our five-week summer series, if you're just kind of jumping in or uh, tuning in, as the case may be, since we have some Facebook uh, broadcasting going on now, which, I'm, which I love. Uh, This is our series which we're bringing up some some of the more controversial issues that surround us, surround the church, are in the church, in the culture. We're going to discuss them from a biblical perspective. This is what we've been doing this summer. And, you know, at this point, you might be looking at this title slide behind me and you might be thinking, Oh boy, today we're going to be talking about politics and religion. Didn't you know, preacher, that I was taught against public conversation of those two things? And then some of you might be looking at that title slide, and you might be thinking, oh, boy, politics and religion, my two favorite issues around the Thanksgiving table. I can't wait. Right? And then some of you are thinking about that last group of people, you're the people I always get stuck with around the Thanksgiving table every year. Oh, boy. It's true. We, typically, we fall into one of those camps. And let's face it, some of us love to talk politics. Or we like it we like to talk politics inexplicably to other people right some of us can't wait for their spouse to wrap up their constant yapping about the government because let's face it ladies he already kept you from leaving so-and-so's house two and a half hours last time you were there right stand at the door and you you go off about so-and-so and we can't stand it when that cousin or the brother-in-law or that spouse or whoever gets going about politics every time we get together because, well, first of all, they know everything. They know everything about it. And so, uh, you know, our friends or family, whoever, better not bring up the slightest topic related uh, or we're not going anywhere tonight. We might as well just camp out on the floor. Can I hear an amen? A few, few of you out there. But regardless of how we feel about this politicking, uh, by the way, that is a real word. I looked it up. I had to have the verb form to follow the series, see. It means to engage in or discuss politics. It is a real word. Regardless of how we feel, how does God feel? How does God feel about politicking? You know, four weeks ago, we talked about the Bible on believing, right? We talked about belief. We went through that. Three weeks ago, we talked about the Bible on giving, Uh, We've gone through the Bible on marrying this morning as opposed to what the world says around us. What does the Bible say about this engaging, uh, engaging in discussing politics? If you haven't noticed a pattern from the previous weeks of this series, maybe it's this. God's word has expectations, right? For those of us that are involved politically and that's probably a good thing. That's probably a good thing. You know, given that the word politics comes from poly, a Latin word meaning many, and ticks meaning blood-sucking creatures. <laughs> now that I've officially told you the oldest preacher joke in the book, our text for today is John 18, 33 to 38. Would you turn there with me this morning? I'm going to uh, take a tall drink here this morning. A little context here. Here's what's happening before we jump into the text. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, is standing here before Pontius Pilate, a prefect or governor serving under Imperior Tiberius from about AD 2627 uh, to about 3637. As far as politicians go, Pilate was overseer of Judea. He was handed the case of Jesus Christ by the Jewish Sanhedrin or religious court who considered Jesus guilty of blasphemy, claiming to be God. Luke chapter uh, 23, verse 1 to 2, tell us that the Sanhedrin wanted Pilate to find Jesus guilty of tax evasion, calling himself a king. That's what they wanted. Pilate proceeds to explore the second issue here with Jesus, just to find out where does he stand politically before Rome? We're ready for our text now. Verse 33, follow with me. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. listens to my voice. Verse 38 Pilate said to him, "What is truth?" After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, "I find no guilt in him." Okay, we'll stop there. And I've said this before from the pulpit. This is what I like to call uh potentially the biggest boneheaded moment in human history. Pilate says, what is truth? Instead of waiting for, you know, King Jesus, Lord God of universe, to uh, elaborate on that, you know, Pilate throws up his hands and walks walks away. What a missed opportunity. But as Christians, we know where the story goes from here, don't we? Regardless of how Pontius Pilate, speaking for Rome, wanted to rule in the case of Christ, the religious leaders demanded that he be put to death demanded you see it there in the text Matthew 27 22 to 25 why what evil has he done they shout all the more let him be crucified Pilate I'm innocent of this man's blood see to it yourselves And all the people answered his blood be on us and on our children the Bible also tells us that because of the signs and wonders of Jesus you know this proving that he was the great I am The positions of the priests and Pharisees were uh, therefore threatened. And they should have been. They should have been. What are we to do? This man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Uh Uh-oh. Can't have that. Can't have that. Um, And so, uh, quote, before their religious jobs could be uh, taken away from them by Rome because of Jesus... The Jews asked that the Romans, uh, just get rid of him. Just get rid of him. Do away with Jesus altogether. But unlike these religious leaders who claim to operate in the name of God, Jesus, who was God, claimed something unique before Rome, didn't he? He claimed something unique, and it's right up here on the screen. He wasn't interested in worldly politicking. In fact, this king wasn't interested in worldly politics at all. Like he said in verse 36 of our text, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from the world. So if King Jesus, 2,000 years ago, standing before the rulers of the world, in light of what the religious leaders of the world were doing, If King Jesus said that he wasn't interested in the politics of the world, what does he intend today for his servants in the world? I believe we can draw at least two conclusions this morning. Number one, our politicking, our engaging in politics should be to further Christ's kingdom. To further Christ's kingdom. Not the agendas, not the schemes, not the kings of the world. That's number one. Secondly, the way Christians engage others in political discussion should be Christ-honoring, not of the world, not worldly. You know, it's interesting, 1 Peter 3.15 actually gives us a description of what Christ-honoring politicking will look like. We can look right there. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. What is that? That's politicking. How? Yet do it with gentleness and respect. This is how we stand before the world and argue for the kingdom of Christ. Amen? If we were to take these two ideas, if we could somehow present them to the church at large, you know, we have, what, two billion people on the planet today that uh, call themselves in some way Christ followers or Christians out of eight billion, so we've still got a lot of work to do. If we were able to broadcast these two ideas worldwide to majority believers and say, this is what God's word says regarding Christian discussion of politics, whose kingdom and how do we present it? You know, I wonder how much disagreement we'd have about what God intends. I mean, it's it's pretty cut and dried. Christ says, "My kingdom isn't of this world." Apostle, uh, you know, Peter says, "Make a defense for the hope within you with gentleness and respect." So we know again what we honor. We know how we honor. Well, just this week, I was curious about something. I wanted to take a look on social media. Just to see if the church indeed did respond likewise, as the Bible says, when it comes to politicking. And you know what I found? We don't. We don't do that. Surprise. Take a minute and look at this collage with me. This collage is made up of nine different political posts or memes that I found in just one half hour scrolling my Facebook, scrolling my Instagram from just a handful of Christians posting, Christians politicking. I intentionally gathered them from sources uh, that I am aware identify as both right-wing, conservative, and left-wing, liberal, and mixed them up. And nearly all the statements made, unless it's in sarcasm here somewhere, nearly all of them completely ignore any notion of furthering the kingdom of Christ. But all of these posts, all of these social media posts, lose the second mark. Of Christian politicking. What was that? Gentleness and respect, don't they? Uh, If you look, I've censored some of these uh, posts, uh, taking out some explicit language that does not uh, find itself compatible with Christ's kingdom. I'd like to remind you that once again, professing Christians have shared these memes. And brothers and sisters, when I look at these, it's as if Christ is standing before Pontius Pilate to me and saying, everyone on the side of truth shall be called the Republican Party. Or conversely, my servants are fighting on the side of social justice. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't read either of these statements in the text. I don't find either one of them in God's word. My kingdom is not of this world. Honor me with gentleness and respect. But brothers and sisters, if you notice, my guess is you probably have. Over the last few years, the political climate online and in the news, and among the people uh, perhaps we know, even within the church, has gone from nasty to nastier. Maybe you could share some examples you've heard, you've seen from believers, maybe not on social media, maybe on the phone, uh, maybe sitting in in the waiting room at a doctor's office. We hear Christians openly slander, berate, and attack one another over such uh, not even uh, non-kingdom issues, just non-issues. Over, uh, for example, which U.S. first lady looks classier or more fitting for the office, Michelle Obama or Melania Trump? Because that's a topic that aligns (coughs) itself well with, you know, the command to feed the poor, right? We hear disrespectful comments about American presidents. Uh, For some reason, we still uh, hear the same about ex-presidents' wives, too. Christ says, my kingdom is not of this world. But this is the spirit we find in the church with political discussion. We've heard words enter the mainstream English vocabulary with different definitions, words such as snowflake, political words that Christians are now using, words that don't help define, they don't help solve a pressing issue, they only attack a person or a stereotype of a person, not exactly kingdom extending or Christ honoring. Here's here's one thing that gets me. Over the last 10 years, I myself in person have been called uh, both a hypocrite and an idiot and a baby hater for voting for a Democrat, as well as a Nazi and a bigot and a woman hater for voting for a Republican. My answer these days is pick one, would you? I'm kidding. But this is the political landscape that uh, whether we like it or not, we're in now. We find ourselves in now. We we find ourselves choosing a political party or a bandwagon. We find ourselves attacking the guy on the other side of the ticket as harshly and as often and with the least sensitive of a tone as we can. It's as if they'll know we're Christians by our lightning-fast ability to be a bigger jerk than the other guy. CNN and Fox News and the others have taught us this is politics. It's just the world we live in today. But Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago said, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not like this world. So maybe, just maybe, when it comes to politicking, some of us are doing it all wrong. We're doing it all wrong. We send a message to the world that Christians are really no different than non-Christians. How does this extend the kingdom of Christ? But here's the thing. Instead of taunting and abusing others, just imagine what Christian politicking could look like. Just imagine the message we could send to the world, like Jesus, instead of all these memes, right? In fact, it's biblical that we do send a message. Timothy Keller writes, The Bible shows believers as holding important posts, uh, even in pagan governments. Think of Joseph and Daniel in the Old Testament. Christians have an opportunity to be involved politically as a way of loving their neighbors. Keller continues, to work for better public schools or for a justice system not weighted against the poor or to end racial segregation, this all requires political engagement. Because you see, where Christians can be influential for Jesus Christ, where Christians can say our kingdom is not of this world, is is not by uh, following the late night TV comic or Twitter-ready mudslinging, but in using our voices, in using our Christian numbers that we already have, in being the body by supporting those politically who demonstrate Christian principles. Amen? Here's the thing. Unlike the way we're portrayed, Christians really aren't all that involved in politicking, even on the basic level. This flies in the face of what we hear. I'm not saying that there aren't politicians that don't claim to be born again to get elected. That happens constantly, whether they are or not. But I'm saying that the opposite scenario doesn't have the numbers that we're led to believe. Christians really don't speak strongly enough politically in this great country, and why don't we? It starts in the voting booth. Barna Group finds, get this, just 61% of evangelicals voted in the U.S. national election in 2016. We're hearing 81% by mainstream media, but it was only 61%, and that was only up 59 in 2012. What about the other 39? Why aren't they involved? Why aren't they involved? Half of all of us Americans in the church don't get involved politically. Don't use the voices we already have. And every four years, every couple years, we have a great opportunity in this country, in this state, in this township to extend Christ's kingdom from the voting booth. That's, That's where we can speak. So let's talk less, maybe. Do more to prioritize Christ's kingdom starting there. But meanwhile, we need to keep in mind that although we, we, might, we might use the same voting process as the world around us, Christian politicking has to look different from the world, right? It has to look different. That is, we've got to leave out all the dirty stuff. We've got to let that go. Johnny Carson once joked, it was so cold outside, the politicians all had their hands in their own pockets. And we know that worldly politics often involves uh, manipulation. But as author uh, Charles Moore writes, "The the way Jesus gets things done is not by manipulation, not by manipulating the political process, not by taking advantage of others, but by washing feet. But by washing feet. That's Christian politicking. Jesus defeats the principalities and powers, he goes on, I'd like to add, Pontius Pilate and Rome itself. Not by force of law or any other way, but at the cross. But at the cross. And then look with me as Jesus tells his followers uh, how to do the same. In Luke 22, 25, 26, it's right there on the same slide. What does he say? The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. That's the world. To the church, not so with you. Not so with you. So, how do we reevaluate this? You know, in, in, instead of uh, all those silly memes, instead of all the blowhards on the radio, what could Christians' politicking look like to those outside the kingdom? Because just looking like the world and the way we're going about politicking, proclaiming our views, that's not working. That's not working. But what if 90%, what if 90% of us supported a Christ-honoring candidate for political office? All the time, constantly. Instead of 50 or 60%. What what about that? Or what if... Bible believers were truly model citizens of our land that we're we're called to be. If we were subject to the governing authorities, we recognize that the authorities in place are put there, allowed by God. And if we resist the authorities, we resist what God has appointed. And in doing so, we incur judgment. What if we actually believed that? Do you think that would appear differently than the world? It just might. Can we do that instead of what we're doing now? Or if we're doing it already, can we do it better? Because here's the thing, we have to send a message that you cannot replace God with government. We're in all kinds of Babylonian trouble if we think that any secular politician is obligated to guard Christian values because they aren't, nor will they. That's up to me and you. That's up to us. That's up to Christians. We are the lights of the world showing the light of Jesus Christ. And, you know, whether our pleasure is big government or small government or no government at all, that's not going to make any difference when King Jesus returns. Not going to make any difference. Unlike any president, King Jesus trumps, no pun intended, (laughs) them all. I heard my daughter snicker at that, so win for me. But dedicated kingdom workers know this to be true. Here's my point this morning. The platform of King Jesus, it's not just going to sweep the nation if we let it. It will take over the world. We know it to be true. Those first century Christians, regardless of the oppressive government over them at the time, regardless of Nero, the one that Christians tortured and killed for their faith, Those early first century Christians knew their great commission by heart. They had to. It wasn't written down yet. They also knew their focus wasn't the individuals who made up the ruling class. But for the kingdom not of this world, these Christians took what began with one. His name was Jesus Christ. It went to 12 the disciples. And today we're still taking it to the ends of the planet Earth, aren't we? Because of those first century Christians. This is social media, any kind of media. This is not the real revolution. Christianity didn't make it to 2 billion people across the globe because of 280 characters on Twitter. Nor did it happen because of uh, our selling what C.S. Lewis called soft soap, a feel good religion. Christianity is certainly not that. Civil disobedience against an oppressive empire was a sign of God's, uh, not even this was a sign of God's people. You know, Christ himself said in Matthew 22, pay your taxes. That thought alone could blow some minds today, couldn't it? Pay your taxes. But political activism doesn't change the world, at least not for very long. But you know what does? The cross. That's how you change the world, the cross. Is your allegiance to the politics of this world or the kingdom of Jesus, where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? What do you spend your, uh, the moments that are passing talking about and dwelling on and sharing? Are you strong enough in what you believe about all men being made in God's image that you can go to that cross, you can get on your knees, you can pray for President Obama, or you can pray for President Trump, or if it had been the reality, pray for President Clinton II, I don't care. Quote, all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, 1 Timothy 2. All those issues that we fight over, that we talk about, that sound bites that fill our heads and fill our discussions, In public, all those silly ones. I'm not talking about is there a God. I mean, uh, maybe you remember this one. Do we keep Dan Quayle on as a national leader when the man can't even spell potato? Remember that? (laughs) Boy, that's important today. (laughs) 25 years later, whatever it is, it's going to be replaced by something equally silly. But you know what will still matter? The Church of Christ will still matter. And it will still grow and it will still thrive. Where's our allegiance? Is it a modern platform? Is it one that's out of this world altogether? I challenge you to the KJO platform. That's King Jesus only. Shall we pray? Oh God, I I pray, Lord, that as we look out at this world that, that is so desperate for you, as the day grows sooner, it comes quicker to us, Lord. I pray, Lord, that, that we would be challenged to worship you, to come to you only. Lord, I, I thank you for uh, the men and the women that, uh, that are trying to make a difference. Lord, I I thank you for all those that do believe, Lord, that you've blessed us to live in a a wonderful country with so many freedoms. And out of your love, Lord, uh, for a little while, we we get to live in this land and, and share it with one another. Lord, I pray that as Christians, we would have the strength and conviction to not communicate, to not think, to not get involved the way the world gets involved. But to remember that everything that we do, that we say, it's to reflect you. It's to reflect your light in this dark world. Lord, I pray that we would uh, act as though uh, we're already uh, with you in in eternity because we are. When you came, Lord, to us, we, we know that you brought your kingdom with us. It's not a place that we're waiting for. It's already here. If we're baptized in you, if we have your Holy Spirit, we're sharing in that kingdom. As we uh, serve one another here in the the United States of America, where we're blessed to live. Help us to remember that your kingdom, Lord, always comes first. Help us to be people who uh, we may not always agree with the things that are going on, but we can still be people that are respectful and gentle and, and, and dignified. God, I thank you for your love and grace and mercy. I thank you for the church. I thank you for this body in which you do amazing things. Help us to be not just just model citizens, but but your model citizens. Citizens of heaven in this hell-bound world. It is in the name of Jesus I pray these things, amen. Well, I I don't know if this is good news to you or not, but there still is more to say on the subject. And uh, next week, uh, next Sunday, we're going to make a switch as we close the series out from the idea of uh, talking about the American political system to uh, maybe a little bit more on personal politics, uh, maybe in your family, maybe in in our churches, et cetera. Uh, There's certainly more. We can say, uh, where in our personal lives does allegiance get really sticky? Hopefully we'll, have that discussion next week, Lord willing. You know, if you, if you think I could get myself in trouble this morning, wait till next week. That's where I get permission for all my stories from, from my family. Yeah. We're going to go through next week the Bible on politicking part two. Um, so please come back and join us. And if you haven't yet joined Christ in eternity in Christian baptism and become a part of that kingdom, that offer, uh, it's limited. We don't know how much time we have, so I urge you to act now. Don't wait. Don't wait. King Jesus is returning, and he's going to take those of us who are ready back with him, and uh, we want to be prepared so that we can get others prepared in Christian love. If you have a decision that you need to make this morning, please come forward. We're going to stand and sing our invitation song.